God has a final destination for us, and we want to look at that today. And so I want to start off by talking to you about heaven, because heaven is one of those topics that, well, there just seems to be a lot of varying views on that in the world today. There are some people that would say that heaven is not real, that it's just made up, it's just something that Christians use as a crutch to help them to cope with the things that are happening in the world. And then there are other people that say, uh, no, heaven is just a state of mind. It's just something that you can do to help yourself. Uh, you can be at peace even in the turmoil and the struggles of life. And then there are other people that just make it whatever they want it to be, like this guy who says, heaven is my house. It's worth $3 million and my chariot is my jaguar and my kids are the angels, right? But then there are other people that say, no, heaven is just a fairy tale. It's just something that's made up. And then still there are other people that have the hope of heaven, like this couple who say, we hope that heaven is a real place. The older we get, the more we long for it. We just hope that what we were taught in our childhood is real. And so there are so many different people in the world today that have so many different views, so many different answers to what the Bible is. There seems to be so much confusion. And so we want to go to the Word of God. We want to know what heaven is really like. And I think the Bible gives us some pretty good answers to that question. And so we want to go to the Bible to explain to us. And we can start in Revelation chapter 21 in verse 1. And John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And what we see here is that each of the prophets, all the way from the beginning of the Bible and the book of Genesis, all the way to Revelation, all of those prophets were pointing us to a new heaven and a new earth. They were pointing us to a better world, a place where there is clear and clean water and clear and clean air where there's no crime no violence a world that is filled with joy and with peace and the bible talks about eden being restored we want to get back to what it was like before there was sin and i want you to try to imagine for a moment in your mind what eden was like it may be hard for us to imagine that because we've only known a world of sin and suffering and sickness, but I want you to allow your mind to go back to what it was like in Eden. Can you imagine a place where there is crystal clear water? Can you imagine a place of pure air? A place of bright sunshine every day, no clouds, no rain. We can imagine a place like that in our heart and our mind. A place where the trees were lush and beautiful and green. Where the fruit on the trees was delicious. The beauty is indescribable. A place where all of nature 
is in harmony. Can you imagine a place where you walk in the field or amongst the trees and the animals don't scatter, but they come running to you? Can you imagine the beauty as it was in Eden where there was love and joy and companionship? Not a taint of sin, of sickness, of sorrow, but it was nothing but joy and fellowship with each other. But the Bible says that there was an intruder that came into the garden. And he suggested to Eve that sin would bring her greater happiness than obedience. He suggested that disobedience would give her greater freedom. And unfortunately, she bought into that lie and her husband Adam followed along with her and our planet was plunged into rebellion. And the sad drama of sin brought with it heartache and suffering and death into our world. And every generation since Adam and Eve have had that hope, that desire of a better place, of going back to Eden the way it was before sin had entered into the world. And we can join with them today in having that same desire as well. A place where there's no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no rebellion of the world. And throughout the generations, there have been men and women who have held fast to that faith in God. In fact, we could say that God has had a royal line of people who have had that sort of faith throughout the generations. They've looked beyond the time in which they lived. They looked to eternity. They were faithful men and women who had their focus on another country, on another land, on another kingdom. And they believed that this world was not their home. They believed that there was something better that God had in store for them, a place where there's no sin and sickness and sorrow and disease and death. And one of those men was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was able to look beyond the temporary situation of this earth and he had his eyes fixed on eternity. He had his sight set on another world. Abraham focused his minds not on the things of this world, but he was looking to eternity. He was dreaming of a place that was made without sin, a place that would soon come. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 talks about him, and it says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking forward to a place where the air was clean, where the water was clear and crisp. He was looking for a city that was not made with human hands, but it was made by God Himself. And there was a royal line of faith of people that followed along with that. And I want to talk about one of those. So turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. It's the faith chapter where it talks about all of those who came before us walking in faith. And when we look at that, we also see there's a man there mentioned by the name of Moses. 
And Moses was a captive in Egypt. He was part of the slavery there. But through a bizarre set of circumstances, Moses is taken out of that slavery. He's taken into the house of Pharaoh. And he is basically in line to take the throne of Pharaoh. But I want you to notice here in Hebrews 11, verse 24 and on, it says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward." Here we see that Moses recognized that he, even though he was living in the house of Pharaoh, even though he was destined to sit on the throne, he realized that there was something even better than everything that the treasuries of Egypt had to offer. And he didn't want to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he wanted to be known as a child of God. He had faith that God had something better than anything that this earth could offer. And in speaking of men and women who lived and died in faith here in Hebrews 11, look with me in verse 13 and 14. It says, all of these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Even though the promise was afar off, even though they never had the realization of the promise in their life and they went into the grave, they still have that hope as they sleep in the grave. They have that hope of that resurrection and they are going to be a part of that kingdom. And they have this hunger and this desire that they died with that they would see that heavenly Canaan in one day. And you know what, brothers and sisters, you and I can embrace that hope along with them. We can cherish it. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And as we read there in Hebrews 11, we see that we are pilgrims We are just passing through. Hebrews 11 verse 16 goes on to say, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. There is something beyond the pain and the suffering and the hurt and the chaos of this world. We're only strangers here. We're pilgrims and we're passing through and we can have eternity in view today. It is something that can give us hope It is something that can give us confidence for the future. Friends, heaven is on its way. Verse 16 continues and says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. That's the wonderfully good news that we have today. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. But I go to prepare a place for you. And you can be confident that if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you and I'm going to take you to that place so that you will be with me. And we can have confidence that He has prepared that place for us. That heaven is real. It's a real place. It's not make-believe. And we're going to be in that city one day and we can have that hope we can have that promise of God imagine what heaven's going to be like we try in all the best that we can to think about it but 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says that eye has not seen ear has not heard it has not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him i don't know about you but i have a pretty good imagination and i try the best that i can to imagine what heaven's going to be like and i imagine the beauty of all of it and i imagine the new earth when the city of god comes back to this earth how beautiful it's going to be when eden is restored and uh, i don't know about you but i have plans to build a golf course on the new earth we have ideas we have thoughts and and i imagine that no matter how good we think it is that this verse tells us that it's even going to be better than all of that imagine the deepest joy that you have ever felt it's going to be greater joy than that imagine the time when your heart was at peace and it's going to be better than that imagine the greatest rest that you have had and it's going to be better than that imagine the most wonderful fellowship the greatest communication that you've had with family or friends it's going to be greater than that God's communication in heaven with us is that he loves us that he wants to have fellowship with us that we are going to be close to him him and we are going to be intimate with him and with each other and the book of revelation gives us a picture of this holy city of god and it is breathtaking and john was seeing that holy city coming down from heaven let's look at it turn with me to revelation chapter 21 and i want you to notice that john sees the city And I love what he says here in verse 2. Revelation 21, verse 2, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. If I'm going to try to imagine what heaven's going to be like and what that holy city and how beautiful it is, John says it was like a bride adorned. I remember the day that Sabrina and I were married 26 years ago. And I remember, you know how it is, the groom is not to see the bride in her wedding dress until that moment that she comes down. And I remember standing there at the altar and I remember looking. It was breathtaking, right? The beauty of a bride in her wedding dress and her hair made up. I just love the way John describes it here as this city being as a bride adorned for her husband. You've seen it, men, haven't you? 
you understand what he's saying here. How breathtaking this city is going to be. How beautiful it's going to be. Because Jesus is gone and He has prepared it for us. It is going to be more beautiful, more incredible, more marvelous than we can even imagine. You can imagine that holy city descending out of heaven down to the earth. It's going to be the most festive event in the universe. And we can see that holy city. And we can see that earth coming back and being our permanent home. Revelation 21 verse 14 describes this city. And it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, I want you to think about those 12 apostles, those 12 disciples that went on to become apostles. I want you to think about doubting Thomas. I want you to think about impetuous Peter. Peter is the one who denied his Lord. I want you to think about James and John who were known as the sons of thunder, right? Here we see these apostles who were just ordinary men Just common folk like us today. And yes, they had their doubts. And yes, they had their fears. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were just common laborers. They had weaknesses just like you and I have today. And these followers of Christ were people that had their faults, but their names are written on the foundation of the holy city. And we should ask ourselves, why? Why are their names there? And I think that the answer is because God is saying to us, if they can make it, so can you. If these ordinary men, you know, can make it to heaven, it should show us that if they can go in, we can go in. And it should show us that heaven is not a place for the super spiritually elite. It is a place for sinners like you and me who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible continues describing the city in this way. In Revelation 21 verse 16 it says, "...the city was laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth." Here we see that the city of God is square and it has three gates on each side. And so there are three gates on the north, there are three on the south, east and west. And you think about that for a minute and you realize in ancient times that they had to build walled cities to protect themselves. They had to build walled cities to keep the enemies out. And so they had very few gates of the city. Because the gate was the most vulnerable place and it was the hardest to protect. And so there were very few gates on ancient cities. But here we see this city has 12 gates, three on each side. And that's God's way of saying, I don't want to keep people out, but I want to get as many of them in as I can. And they come from the north. They come from the south, the east, and the west. 
by the way, why would we think that there are three gates on each side? It might remind us that we have the the Trinity and we can imagine God the Father saying to us, come, come into the city. We can imagine the Son saying, come, come into the city. The Holy Spirit encouraging us, please come, come and be a part of this city of God. God is saying to everyone, you can come and you can be a part of this city. Whoever of you are, you may make it through the gates into that city by the grace of God. God has built His city with walls, but the walls have gates in them so that we can come through. And He wants to get as many there as possible. And we can praise the Lord for that. But John says in verse 21, verse 16, that the angel came and he measured the city with a reed and it was 12,000 furlongs. If we recalculate that into our current measurements today, we see that the length and the breadth were equal. And so that's roughly 1,500 miles in circumference around that city. That means that city is 375 miles long on each side. That's roughly the size of the state of Colorado. And it says that its height is equal to its breadth. Can you imagine a city? No wonder it has 12 foundations, one laid upon another, upon another of this massive structure, this huge city, 375 miles on each side, 375 miles high. Can you imagine this city and how many people could fit into that city? God has provided a place for every single person that they would be room there for them. And certainly what God has promised, God is going to bring to fruition. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And you know that He has one there for you. He has prepared a place for you. And the book of Revelation describes this holy city. It is fantastic. It is magnificent. It is incredible. It is beyond anything that our minds can conceive. And the streets of this city are made out of pure gold. Revelation 21 verse 21 tells us the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. Now we may ask ourselves, why are the gates pearl? And I would ask, man, can you imagine the oyster that it took to make that pearl? And we see that each gate is a single pearl. And that's because Jesus is the pearl of great price. And Jesus said that He is the door. He is the gate. And if we want to get into heaven, we must come through Him. There is no other way under heaven by which man can be saved, but we must come through Jesus. And Jesus is enough to get us through that gate and into that beautiful city. And those streets are made out of pure gold, so pure that it's transparent. And we see that God is rich. He is so wealthy that He makes the streets out of gold. God is so wealthy, God will not be found wanting. And you may not have much here, but God has something special planned for you in that city that He's prepared. Soon that city is going to descend out of heaven. 
And it's going to go back down to this earth. But that earth is going to have been destroyed at the brightness of His second coming. And the angels and the devil are the only ones here on this planet that are alive. All of the dead are going to be destroyed. The Bible describes it as a wasteland. But when this city comes down and sits back on this planet, then the dead are going to be resurrected and Satan is going to go back out and deceive the whole world again. They're going to come against the city of God. But the Bible says that fire comes down out of heaven from God and destroys them. And the whole planet is a lake of fire. And sin and sinners are going to be destroyed once and for all. And then God is going to recreate this planet. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And it is going to be like it was. You imagine like it was in the Garden of Eden where life is flowing. You imagine that crystal clear water and as it comes out from the throne of God and everything that it touches, it just brings to life. Can you imagine the abundance of the fruit? Can you imagine the redeemed living on this solid earth, this new earth? That's what we can look forward to. And the Bible describes it as the blessed hope. That is the hope that we have. That is the hope that we can hang on to. It is a real world. And it's not going to crumble underneath our feet. And we have hope. And we can have inspiration of these words that can draw our attention to what God has planned for us. And the prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of that. It says in Isaiah 35, verse 1, "...the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose." We can imagine the singing of the angels. Imagine the angelic choir as God is recreating this earth and all of the beauty. And you're standing there by the walls of the city that are made out of this gold that's so pure it's transparent. It's like glass. And you're looking out the window and you're seeing everything just come to life as God is recreating this planet. You can imagine it being like the Garden of Eden. A carpet of living green. The scenery that is so beautiful and fantastic and so unimaginable. The flowers that are giving off this fragrance that is filling the air. The new earth. Eden restored. Imagine opening your eyes to this great new world. Imagine breathing in that pure air. Imagine that pure water and how crisp and clear and how wonderful it tastes. Imagine eating the fruit of the tree of life. Imagine this atmosphere of nothing but love and compassion for each other. But have you ever wondered, what are our bodies going to be like in, in this time when Eden is restored? What will our physical condition be in this new earth? Because there are many people today that believe in the immortality of the soul. And they believe that when you die, you don't really die. It's the body that dies, but the soul goes on living. And so there's this idea that you're just this spirit that's floating around. But I want you to notice what the Bible says about this. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to notice 
what Paul says to the church in Philippi, what he's saying to us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. I want you to imagine that body that Jesus had after His resurrection. What kind of a body was it? It was a glorious, resurrected, immortal body. A body without the taint of sin. A body that could never die. That would always have that youthful vigor to it. And you'll notice too from Scripture that Jesus ate in that resurrected body. And there were a number of experiences that Jesus had that we can look at and we can see how our resurrected bodies are going to be. And the Bible clearly says that we will be like Him. You'll remember on that resurrection day on the road to Emmaus when He met up with those two disciples and He was walking along with them. They clearly understood and realized that this was a human body even though the Bible says that their eyes were closed so that they didn't recognize Him. But they knew that this was a person that they were talking to. And you'll remember that when they got to the end of their journey and they invited Him into the house and it says that when he broke bread with them their eyes were opened that's because they recognized his unique mannerisms he had a certain way of breaking that bread and giving thanks to God and and when they saw that they recognized who it was and they said did not our hearts burn within us when He was opening up the Scriptures to us. But they recognized His unique mannerisms. You'll remember that resurrection morning when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the tomb was empty. And she was standing there weeping and Jesus was behind her. And He said, who are you looking for? And she turned around. Perhaps she was looking into the sun. She didn't recognize Him. She thought it was the gardener. And she said, if you know where His body is, tell me and I'll go get it. And then He says to her, oh Mary. And when He does, she recognizes His voice. She recognized the intonation of how He said that to her. He must have said that to her several times, but she recognized it. And you know, when we have that resurrected body, we're going to recognize the mannerisms of each other. We're going to recognize each other's voice, the intonation of our voices. And then you'll remember too, when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, they recognized him. They recognized his physical form. They knew that it was him immediately. And we are going to know each other because we're going to recognize each other not only through our voice, not only through our mannerisms, but the physical form will be there. There just will be no signs of aging, there'll be no signs of disease. But we will all have that youthful vigor, but we will still be able to recognize the physical appearance of our family and our friends.
In the new heaven and the new earth, when we have this glorious immortal body, we will have that same personality. It just won't have that taint of sin with it. That carnal nature will be gone. Now I want to ask you a question. Can you imagine that Jesus would go to such great lengths to save us, to pay that infinite price for you and me, only to totally change our personality and our physical features and those things that make you uniquely you. I can't imagine Jesus doing that. I can't imagine Him changing that. Why? Because He's saving you. He loves you. You are unique. And He's not going to take that uniqueness away from you. And so those unique strains of our personality are going to remain. We're going to recognize each other. We're going to have that same personality but without the taint of sin. And so we're going to recognize each other by our unique mannerisms. We're going to recognize each other by the tone of voice or the intonations of our voice. And we're going to have those individual personalities that we will take with us. And I want to show you the promise of God. Turn with me to Isaiah 33. Isaiah chapter 33. And I want you to notice here the promise of God Isaiah 33, look with me in verse 24. The Bible says, And the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Oh, praise the Lord when there's a time when there's no more sin. The Bible says that we should reckon ourselves dead to sin, but the reality is that in this life we still have that sinful nature. I don't know about you, but sometimes that old man in me pops up. And sometimes it even surprises me. And I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? I thought that guy was dead, right? But that carnal nature is still there. But one day soon, there's going to be a time when that carnal nature is gone. And that way of thinking and that way of doing things is gone. And here we see it also says there's going to be no more sickness. No more death, no more sorrow. It goes on. Look with me in chapter 35 of Isaiah here. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. There's coming a time when those who are deaf will hear. There's coming a time when those who are blind will see. You imagine the day when the lame will walk. No more wheelchairs. No more crutches. No more invalids having to stay in a bed. The life flows through their veins. It pulsates through with great energy. Can you imagine running alongside of the horses and not growing tired? We can imagine the things that God has planned for us. The joy, the happiness that is there in heaven. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day when there will be no more pain. I look forward to the day when there's nothing but joy and peace and happiness. 
the death, the sorrow, the crying, the pain, all gone forever. It is finished. The rebellion is over. Sin and sinners have been destroyed. And God is going to recreate this earth. And Jesus said in the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. Can you imagine that new heaven and that new earth? Revelation 22 verse 1 says, And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And can you imagine when that river comes out from the throne of God and it goes out and it touches the earth and everything it touches comes to life? You can imagine the beauty of it all. And you know, there are so many people in the world today that are searching for happiness in all of the wrong places. There are so many that are not satisfied, but God is going to satisfy. He's going to quench our thirst with that living water. He's going to quench our inner needs by being right there with us. He Himself will dwell with us. Nothing can quench your spiritual needs like God can. Amen? Revelation 22, verse 2 says, And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits. Can you imagine a tree that bears a different fruit every month. Can you imagine how wonderful that fruit is going to taste? Each tree yielding that fruit. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Friends, you and I live in a world of rebellion. We live in a war of violence and crime and war. And there's going to have to be some healing to our minds. There's going to have to be some healing to our souls. And you can imagine God bringing us to a place that is so perfect, so surreal, so beautiful, so wonderful that after a while you're just going to forget about all of the things of this world. He's going to repair our minds and there's going to be some healing that's going to go on there. And all of the love in this place that is going to be given and received. It's going to be a place where we experience firsthand the love of God in the presence of God. And we will be cherished by God. We will be embraced by God. Satisfied by God. I don't know about you, but I long for the day when I will see Jesus face to face. No longer have to live by faith, but live by sight. We will be able to see Him there. That water of life. That tree of life. Satisfying our deepest ambitions. Our inner needs. God is going to be the source of all of our strength. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. I don't know about you, but I get tired. I get wore out. I get beat down. Right, But I'm looking forward to that day when we can mount up like on eagle's wings and, and run with the horses. 
I've got a gentleman that I did his funeral, but before the funeral, we talked about when we get to the new earth, he and I, we're going to go and we're going to go find a big old male lion and we're just going to go lay on that lion. And we're going to just have a good conversation. And I look forward to that day, right? Sometimes we get worn out here, but we're going to have energy flowing through our bodies. And Isaiah the prophet describes it this way. It says in Isaiah 11:9, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Violence is gone. War is gone. Conflict is over. No more strife between nations. No more hurting. No more destroying. Put down those weapons of war. Every threat of war gone. Peace fills the earth. You can imagine it, can't you? You have a hunger for it, a desire. Heaven is a real place. And there are going to be real activities that go on in heaven and on the new earth. You can imagine the songs of praise. You can imagine the angelic choir. You can imagine being a part of that. Singing those songs of joy of the redeemed when that world is made new. Isaiah 65 verse 17 says, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Can you imagine the day when God gives us amnesia about death, about suffering and sin and sorrow, when you no longer remember those things? Heaven is a place that is going to be filled with joyful memories. And those memories of the difficulties that we have gone through in this life are going to be forgotten. When you compare the things of this world to that new world, it's going to be so much better that we're just going to say, oh, that was nothing, right? We're going to forget about those things. Isaiah 65:21 and 22 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Can you imagine... You will be living in heaven for a thousand years. But after that, the holy city is going to come down out of heaven. It's going to come back to this earth. God is going to recreate the earth. We're going to inherit the earth. And you're not only going to have a city home, but you're going to be able to go out and build a country home. You're going to be able to have a garden. You're going to be able to grow grapes that might be this big. I don't know. So big you have to carry them on a pole. You imagine a big old ear of corn, right, that maybe would fill you up. But there is going to be the ability to not only build homes, but live in them. And you can imagine what heaven is going to be like when you build a house that you yourself inhabit and a garden that you yourself eat out of. Isaiah 65.22 says, For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of My people, and My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. I don't know about you, but I've had several homes and I've fixed them up and I've done good things to them and then I turn around and sell it and move and start all over again, right? Fixing up the next place and then you go to the next place, but it's not going to be like that anymore. It's not going to be a rented home. It's going to be your own home. And you are going to be able to enjoy it for all eternity. But what about our fellowship with friends? 
Can you imagine having a home and not having anyone to be able to come into it and enjoy it with you? Can you imagine having a garden and not being able to share it with a neighbor? Can you imagine the fellowship that we are going to have? So sweet, so powerful. Something that we can enjoy each other rather than this sinful nature that we have. All we think about is how we can be a blessing to others. Matthew 8 verse 11 says, And I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine sitting down with the greatest minds throughout all of the ages? Can you imagine sitting down with those spiritual heroes of the past? Think about it. As you're in this giant city that has so many people in it that it's going to take you probably a million years to get to know everybody. But you're going to have an opportunity to sit down with them and talk to them. I can imagine working in my garden one day and somebody's coming down the lane and I look and I'm like, is that Adam? Is that him? Could it be? You can imagine, is your name Adam? Yes, I'm Adam. Can you imagine sitting down and talking to him? I got a really big question for him. What were you thinking? Amen? But then we're going to get past that. And then we're going to talk about what it was like in Eden. We're going to talk about when he sat down and he named all of the animals. When he realized that there was no helpmate for him. What was that like? What was he feeling? What was he feeling when God presented Eve to him? You can imagine that kind of joy, that kind of fellowship that we will have. And then one day, you meet Moses. And you can imagine having that conversation with Moses. What was it like when you were there on the mountain and God was writing on that tablet of stone? What did you see? Was it just a hand there? Did you just see the words suddenly appearing? What was it like? How do you know that that was the hand of God? Can you imagine talking to Him? What was it like in that 40 years in the wilderness when you knew that the reason that you were there was because of the rebellion of the people? And how did did you maintain your love and affection for them? And what was it like as you're dealing with these stiff-necked people? You can imagine having that conversation with him. And how about the day when you meet Daniel and you ask him, what was it like when you were down there in that lion's den? Could you see the angels there? Could you see them holding the mouth of those lions shut? How did you feel? How strong of a faith did you have to have to go through that? And you can imagine this fellowship with these great minds of Bible men and women of past ages. You can imagine meeting Peter, James, and John and sitting down with them and talking about them, what it was like after Christ went back to heaven and that persecution came in. What were some of the things that they went through that are not even recorded in the Word of God and getting to know them. But most of all, heaven wouldn't be heaven if Jesus wasn't there. And can you imagine sitting down with Him? 
and just sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. You know, there aren't going to be any preachers like Pastor Rod when we got Jesus. Amen? We can go straight to the source and we can see what's on the heart and mind of Jesus. And I imagine just at the point when we start to think that we know Jesus pretty well, maybe after about a million years and we think we understand God, and then He says, come here, I want to show you something. I want to show you something you've never seen before. You can imagine spending that time with Jesus, the one who had that crown of thorns on His head, the one who had the nails in His hand, the one who bled and died for you. And one day as we enter into that city and Jesus welcomes us there and we have the new earth, it's recreated, and He says to you, this is your land. This is your place. Build a house. Build a garden. I made this for you. Can you imagine what it would be like? Isaiah 66, verse 23, it says that from one Sabbath to another, all flesh is going to come to worship before Me, says the Lord. I don't know about you, but I often think about that day. What's that going to be like when we all come together and worship with Jesus? I don't know if it's going to be every single one of us in one big church or is it going to be these little churches that are, but everyone is worshiping within their community. I don't know. Maybe this is just a taste of what we're going to see, but you can imagine that kind of a worship service. You imagine that your heart will be in the right place. You imagine that your mind will be focused not on self, but on worshiping the King of glory. We can imagine being with Him there. The kind of fellowship that we are going to have. The rest that God intended for us to have on the Sabbath day. I don't know about you, but I can imagine it. Right? We come to that great heavenly temple and you can imagine this enormous angelic choir. Can you imagine hearing the angels sing? How beautiful is that going to be? You know, I don't know about you, but I can't sing. But I'm expecting I'm going to be able to sing then. You can imagine as we come together and the Father introduces us to the Son. And you can imagine Jesus standing up. I want to show you something. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I love this. This is powerful. If we truly imagine what this is going to be like. Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to think about this. What it's going to be like in Hebrews chapter 2. Look with me in verse 10. The Bible says, For it was fitting for Him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason He is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare Your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will sing my praise to you. Can you imagine Jesus Christ singing? The One who created singing. The One who created the timbrels and pipes within Lucifer, who was the leader of the angelic choir. Can you imagine the Master of music singing to you? I imagine He'll be a few octaves above everybody else. 
perhaps a few below. I imagine that there may be other sounds, noises that He can put in there that you and I can't. I imagine that when Jesus sings to us, it will melt our hearts. I imagine when Jesus sings to us that it will reach right into the very depths of your soul. Music can bring you closer to God and you imagine that He's singing to you. You just feel a connection with Him that you've never felt before. Jesus is going to sing to you. Revelation 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. Can you imagine that? You know, Imagine being in the very presence of God. Oh, what a powerful thought that is. Revelation 22 verse 4 says, They shall see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Jesus said, Blessed are those who will see God. I don't know about you, friends, but I look forward to that day. And one day, as I'm leaving the temple, after that worship service, I imagine Jesus coming up and taking me by the hand. And Maybe you can imagine that too. Him coming and taking you by the hand and saying, Come, let's take a walk together. Can you imagine that day of walking with Jesus? He might take you into a field of wheat where He reaches down and He grabs some and He says, here, taste this. You've never tasted wheat like this before. I made this just for you. Imagine walking through the hills with Him and you see all of the beauty of the flowers, the reds, the blues, the pinks, the purples, and Him saying, this is for you. I did this for you. You can imagine entering into that kind of fellowship with our Creator. You can imagine Him putting His hand on your shoulder and saying to you, there's nobody like you. I'm so glad that you chose to give your heart to Me. I'm so glad that you chose that you wanted to be a part of My kingdom because there's no one like you. And if you weren't here, there would be no one to replace you. But I'm so glad that you're here. Can you imagine there's no one like you and Jesus knows you and He wants to be known by you. He wants to spend that time in fellowship. And God's plan for us is so amazing and we can realize that plan even now. It can excite our souls. It can fill us with great anticipation. We can be like those of faith who came before us who maybe are seeing it afar off. Maybe we're seeing it through a glass darkly or dimly now. But the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more we can realize that it's just around the corner. And one day soon, He is coming. And one day soon, we are going to be going home. Going home to where we belong. Going home to where our heart longs for. And friends, all of the misery and all of the suffering will be over. And we can believe in Jesus Christ. We can believe in the love of Christ, the saving power of Christ. Would you like to say to Him today, Yes, Lord, I want to be with You for all of eternity. Is that the desire of your heart? Can you imagine it? If you do, let's pray. Father in Heaven, 
Lord, we're so grateful for the picture that You have given us of eternity. We imagine that heavenly home. We imagine when we will be coming back to this earth. And Lord, I know that our imagination can't even do justice for what You have planned. But Lord, thank You for planning that in our heart. Give us that hope. Give us that encouragement. And Lord, help us to surrender it all. Help us to lay it all on the altar and give it all to You, Lord. And our prayer is that You will be able to bring us through those gates into that holy city and we can be with You forever. That's the desire of our heart. That's the hunger that we face today. And Lord, we know that there's a time of trouble coming, but we look beyond all of that. And we look to a time and place when we will see You face to face. When we will hear You sing. When You will take us by the hand and say, let's walk together. Lord, we long for that day. And we pray that it would be so real, so impressed upon our hearts and minds that it would consume us, that it would take away all the misery and difficult challenges that we face, that even when the storms of life are beating against us, Lord, that we can have hope in You. And we pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.